G'day, it's Scotty from Zenium Live and here on a Thursday afternoon. So grab a cuppa and a cookie and sit down and listen to the good stuff we got coming on our show today. Well, I'm very honoured today to be joined by a long-time mate of mine, Steve Skeen. Steve, how you doing, mate? Yeah, great. Thanks, Scotty. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So Steve is... Uh, well, I mean, you, you do a lot of things, don't you, Steve? So he's a financial planner, mortgage broker, uh, and something I learned recently is um, weekend warrior in renovations, mate. Is that that's true? Well, I have been uh, known to grab the wrong hand, <laughs> wrong end of the of the hammer, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> the problem with doing all this, the problem with doing all this academic and brain work is that uh, it, it can leave you a little bit. Um, wanting for a bit more manual sort of activity so renovations is my favorite pastime yes mate i, I gotta admire you for that I, I don't mind the uh you know the the brain work as you say and uh i i get where you're going with that but mate renovations is not on my list of uh of hobbies to do on a weekend you can just ask my wife all about that uh that list of things that never seems to get done all right so uh Mate, uh, just give everyone a bit of a quick background of you and because, and I mean, I know that they're hard to tell, but you are a little bit older than me. and We, we can't tell that in, in this, this shot here because you're looking quite good today. But, well, uh, mate, tell us, you know, how you got into the industry. Just, you know, give us two minutes of yourself and then uh, sure. we're going to go through a bit of stuff that you got for us. Great. Okay. So, look, very quickly, back in the 80s, mid-80s, I entered the financial services world and I uh, started working for a large insurance company called National Mutual. And over a period of time, I became a, a superannuation expert and stepped out into the field to provide uh, personal financial advice. I then moved around to a couple of different companies, including uh, some larger banks. And uh, ultimately, in the mid-90s, after I'd served a 10-year apprenticeship on financial planning, I cut my teeth on home loans and mortgages when I helped big Aussie John open up a, a, a shop up in Townsville. And uh, I've got to tell you, Scotty, giving people money rather than taking it off them was a lot easier. Uh, so mortgage brokering became my, my new career path. Of course, we weren't, called, we weren't called mortgage brokers back then. That wasn't even a concept. I mean, finance brokers were around, but not mortgage brokers. But over time, what happened was that now that I was giving money to people, I had a lot of my financial planning clients come to the table and say, look, we can you help us build a property portfolio? And I said, yeah, no problems. Go and get yourself a contract and I'll sort the finance out from here. And it was during that period of time, that was the mid-90s, that I discovered the um, all the devious ways that uh, property spruikers were getting their hooks into my clients and Ultimately, I was tearing up contracts in front of clients and it actually uh, set me off on another tangent, which was to create a, a property or a professional property offering. And I did that. And anyway, look, cut a long story short, it became a national company. Um, I, I was working like you. I was working 16 hours a day, seven days a week. It cost me a marriage because I was married to the job. And, um, and you know, it was, it was an interesting ride. So I, ultimately, I sold that. Uh, business to a, a large um, listed company and um, in my 40s I was considering an early retirement but my passion for helping people just kept on bringing it back to the table so to this day 
I have a, a, a business structure similar to that, but on a much smaller scale. And um, I think that my missus probably wishes I went back to working 16 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, mate, uh, we had a bit of discussion before this and, and we said, look, I, I've, I've wanted to get you on for some time now. I mean, I've known you for, I don't know, it was like 12, 13 years or something. And, uh, and you know, you work closely with uh, me on a few projects and other different bits and pieces over the years. And, uh, and I've been saying, Steve, I want to get you on the show, I want to get you on the show. And I know you're always, you, you know, you, you definitely are a, a calculating person in, in that regard, mate, and you're a bit reserved. But I'm going to put it out to you today, like, Take, take the stand, show us the presentation you got for us today that we've loosely said, you know, is it time to change your plan and go through the things that you're working with your clients at the moment. Sure, sure. And look, just um, as I lead into that and tackle this technology, um, starting with a plan, I think, is the most fundamental step that people need to take. Look, a lot of your um, followers and clients and associates are probably well on their path to success, but uh, when things like the coronavirus pops up, it's often uh, a time to um, what they call pivot or stop, prop, reconsider, and then set the new pathway. So this is something that I'm actively doing with a lot of my clients right now. So let's jump into it. Let's see if this works. While you're doing that, mate, we've had uh, we've had uh, Jeff. Jump in. I haven't seen Jeff for a lot, while. I've been messaging him. Two absolute ah, legends. Please. Mate, did you pay him or did I pay him for that? I didn't, I didn't see what happened there. Oh, I'm sure his invoice is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Uh, I've got you up here, mate. So you have the go and we're on the, the left of the screen and we can see what you're doing. Terrific. Okay. All right. So let me just see if I just make sure I can see what I'm talking about. Okay, so um, what I would consider at this point of time is that um, now's a really important time to reconsider where you, where people are going financially and what sort of vehicles they're, they're using to get there. So I've put this presentation together and you've got to remember that uh, being a financial planner, I need to articulate my general advice disclaimer and that is that I'm going to be talking about some financial matters some of your listeners, whether they're live or listening to the recording, may get a little bit excited about some of the things that I say. All I do is encourage them to seek professional advice before they take action. And consequently, this is my general advice disclaimer. Hopefully you can see that on the yep, screen. Looks, looks good. Great. Okay, so what I'm hoping to um, go through today is a bit of situational awareness and a discussion about what is happening in the world today and might be the stuff that we can see and, and maybe some stuff that is not so visible. I then want to very quickly talk about where I see the opportunities and the threats and what I'm actively doing to capture or avoid those matters. And I'll just finish very quickly off with um, what I do with my clients as far as uh, revisiting plans or rejigging plans and helping them take advantage and, and actually taking the next steps but I've got to tell you, as a young man, I entered into the world of finance and financial services uh, from a, a different position to where I am today. It would be fair to say that I came from a hard-working, blue-collar 
family and neither my mum nor my dad had access to financial education. Um, there's no such thing as a financial plan. So my impression of going out and accumulating was essentially entering the, the stage of war and capturing and, um, you know, essentially there was, there was going to be a win-lose situation for every transaction. As I got older and wiser, what I discovered was that my philosophies changed over time and there, there are such things as win-win transactions and these are the transactions I look for these days. So the term vulture investing is not part of my vocabulary. I, I know it's part of others people's, but it's probably a representation of where I am at this point of time in my life. And You're the one nice, thing that, mate. You're too nice. Oh, well, yeah, and you know, nice, nice guys don't always come last. I'll, I'll let you know that. <laughs> Good and, to hear. And I'll say that um, I've been very privileged to um, enjoy some success over time, and and in my opinion, it's it's incumbent upon me to pass that on. So, like the great Les Brown said once, if I can help others achieve their dreams, then along the way, hopefully, I'll I'll achieve mine. So what I can tell you from my own personal journey is that success really is made up, in my case, of 80% attitude and 20% aptitude or, or having access to the tools or to the system. And the one thing is for sure is that during this period of unrest that we're going through now, an interesting thing is happening at a psychological level for a lot of my clients and in no doubt a lot of your clients as well. And that is that um, on a day-to-day -day basis, there's probably two parts of our consciousness that we deal with. Um, one is immediate danger. We take action, we avoid, we, we run, there's fight, flight or fright. But for longer-term strategies, we, we tend to be a lot more content with... Um, um, uh, set and forget situation. But of course, what happens when a, a global pandemic like this occurs, suddenly our approach to long-term in investing or long-term goals enters the other part of our brain, which is in a state of fight, flight or fright. So what I'm, work that I seem to be doing a lot with my clients at the moment is not so much about financial stuff, but more about um, keeping calm, putting things into perspective, um, trying not to cry over spilt milk, and, and even in some cases looking for what those opportunities look like for them. So attitude or mindset is really important. Now, here's three young men that, that I know intimately. That bloke in 1987, he had nothing to lose when when the stock market crash of 87 occurred and he was fearless in everything he did. Uh, the bloke at, in 2007, that's when the GFC hit us. He was probably a little bit more worldly and a little bit more wise and certainly had stuff to lose. And uh, if it wasn't a, a divorce, it was going to be the GFC that was going to shake him. And this bloke in 2020, well, he's just moved to another level and, and that is... Start looking after the people around you and the rest of it look after itself. But as I say, there are opportunities popping up and making sure that your vision is clear and your and your plan is, is thorough and people will, will grab those opportunities right now. 
Yeah, good photos, mate. Did you spend a while touching them up? Are they okay? Yeah, I had to send them off to somebody in, in Pakistan to fix it up. Yeah. Don't worry. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, you're wrong. But what I want to show you here is, and this is the, the uh, global stock market during these these last financial crises. And what we can see back, back here in uh, 1987, and this is essentially a graph looking at what's $10,000 worth if you invested in 1985, uh, yeah, 1985, what's it going to be worth in today's dollars? So back in 1987, it was a horrendous crash, and you know, but as time goes by, really it's just a blip on the graph. So what we can say about that is that um, even after this GFC here in uh, 2007, uh, where the where the market was affected significantly, the recovery did come. And we're even seeing, here we are in 2020, COVID virus has shaken the share market. And um, as of today, I think the Australian share market might be up 100 odd points. And certainly the American stock market is, is moving forward. So my point around this is that over time, um, things improve. Mm. Now, I don't know which, can you still see my screen there, my friend? Yeah, mate. We've got the graph on there. Perfect, perfect. All right, let's see if we can move to the next one. So this graph, and you know, I don't want to bore people with, with graphs, but it's important to know that I'm continually looking at the numbers, looking at the facts and the figures. And to be honest with you, largely they um, edify exactly what my gut instincts or my intuition are telling me. So I, I don't want to... Um, discount that whole idea that when you're when you're karma, you, your intuition plays a, a significant part in the steps that you should take moving forward. Mm -hmm. But essentially, what we can see in this graph is uh, the, the five um, capital cities. Uh, what's happened with rates of return? Now, yesterday we were able to use some tools to work around this, some markers and such. I can't see that right now, but. Just want to show you that um, leading from March 2017 into March 2019, most mm -hmm. property markets were actually on the slide. And there's no secret behind that in that uh, people were very concerned about what was happening with the federal election. And you may recall Scott Morrison got in, suddenly negative gearing was shored up and um, the prospects for investors like you and I looked very positive. So consequently, markets started to take off, and particularly those southern markets of Sydney and, and Melbourne. Now, when the coronavirus kicked in, it was it all happened just when our our friends in Brisbane were starting to benefit from some capital growth. Coronavirus kicked in, and it's it's seriously it's going to have an impact on our property market. Um, and those southern states, probably more so not because of the virus itself, but because of that fundamental equation of supply and demand. So mm -hmm. if there's less migration, particularly international migration coming into Sydney and Melbourne, we can expect to see less buyers at the auctions, etc. If um, if there's less interstate uh, migration coming into uh, places like Brisbane, then we would expect to see um, that roll out as far as that property values are concerned. 
So this is probably a little bit more up to date as far as graphing is concerned. And I, once again, this, those southern markets are taking uh, are being affected um, more largely because of that international migration figure. But what we do as a business is we try to look for leading indicators that gives us some sort of a sense of understanding of what may happen next. And what we can see here is a, another graph which talks about CMAs or um, uh, comparative market analysis reports which are derived from CoreLogic or RP data. So this is a report that a real estate agent will um, produce for a, for a potential seller of a property or a vendor. Yeah. And the vendor essentially wants to get an idea of what their property is worth before they put it on the market. So if we have a look at the activity of these types of reports, how many of them are being reported, it gives us an idea of what's likely to enter the supply funnel in the, in the medium to short term. So we can see that in 2019, uh, around about this time of the year, things dropped naturally because of Easter. But the comparison, which is the darker line in 2020, you can, we can see there's a significant drop off. And once again, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise us with all the, um, you know, with all the isolation matters, less people are going to be putting their properties on the market. In fact, the anecdotal evidence from agents that I talk to is that a lot of listings have actually been pulled off the market yeah. purely based on fear, naturally. So in that regards, what do the agents think is going to happen to property values over the medium to short term? Well, we can see that over 60% or around about 60% of, of um, real estate agents believe that mark, uh, property markets are going to fall anywhere from 10 to 20% or higher. And more importantly, 30% uh, are saying it's happening right now. So there's definitely a, a short-term downward trend as far as the sentiment. So this is the sentiment of oh. the real estate agents. And so this is measuring just this is not this is measuring the agent sentiment, not just yeah. the the client right. sentiment, right? Yep. Okay. So I've got a different graph, and one of your special guests, PJ. He often talks about the consumer sentiment, which is this graph here, and the impact or the relationship that consumer sentiment has to, in his case, uh, the equities market, the share market. So, so what I can see in this graph is that uh, just after the GFC, we saw consumer sentiment drop significantly. You may or may not recall that around 2009, 2010, the property market which, you know, albeit two years after the GFC, but the property market did uh, retract around about 15%. And we can see here at, um, in the COVID virus situation, consumer sentiment has dropped significantly as well. And once again, that correlates to what we saw on the share market, 30% drop, somewhat of a recovery happening at the moment. So, so once again, I'm just pointing out some tools that we look at as far as leading indicators for what may happen in the property market. Now, this graph actually shows the consumer sentiment. I've gone a little bit further backwards than 2015. I've gone all the way back to the year 2000. And what I can see is that um, whilst there is a correlation between consumer sentiment and 
the number of sales. So we're not talking about values on this graph. We're talking about the number of sales. Yep. We actually see the number of sales falling prior to the sentiment falling. So in an interesting twist, we would consider consumer sentiment to be potentially a lagging indicator rather than the leading indicator. So what does that mean for us? It just simply means that we shouldn't be too nervous simply because, um, you know, people are, are um, taking their listings off the market. And in fact, in, in my own case, I've got a, a, a property at the high end of the market, which has recently sold during the coronavirus lockdown. So right. it's, it's just an interesting um, set of data which says we understand that the share market is very touchy when it comes to uh, global pandemics, but potentially the property market is actually a safe haven for people who are pulling money out of shares. So just on this, are you saying that the majority of uh, advisors or interpreters or whatever would say that uh, the sentiment drives the volume or, or the drives the activity and we, this chart is saying that the activity drives the sentiment. That's what it, that's what this, that's what the facts tell us. Yeah. No, that's that's well. Yeah. I mean, that lines up with the, if you the belief of you know with the gains in land and things like that in terms of the property cycle. So, I like that graph. Yeah. And look, we could talk about graphs all day, but I guess from my perspective, I'm having meaningful conversation with my clients right now on where. Um, we believe the opportunities are and you know that it could be in housing it may be in property development it could be in the equities market I mean certainly things are on on sale at the moment it could be commodities such as gold or even oil uh, here's something that a lot of my clients don't think about and that is uh, joint ventures with other people or collaboration mm -hmm. and you you might be in the crypto market. So, Scotty, what do you think out of those areas? Which areas do you think have got the the opportunities right now? Well, it depends if you know what you're doing or not. I think there's opportunities in in a lot of areas uh, based on time and and your skill level. I mean, for me personally, I don't know enough about crypto, but there seem to be guys in there acting in that space. Um, same, I don't know enough about gold. Um, but yeah, obviously we work in the, the housing development and JV space. So there is different opportunities in probably everything. Okay. Well, look, I, I agree with you, mate. In fact, I think there is opportunities for all of them, but at the end of the day, and, and this is the message I'm getting to my clients right now is that the devil is in the detail. So jumping into something without investigating or performing your due diligence is a really silly idea, even though it seems that everything is on sale. In fact, I I was listening with with great interest uh, when PJ was saying that you know the share market may have recovered somewhat. However, the financial reporting season is not upon us yet, and mm -hmm. his anticipation is that if you're jumping back into the equities market, you might be jumping in too early. So I was interested in his philosophy around that, and yeah. and I, I say to everybody that. Um, don't just watch the graphs, actually do some some analysis before you jump in. Yeah. I want to introduce you to something that I, well, I haven't nominated this, but I came across this as part of my 
process is called the Johari window. And what it what it basically says is that there, for every situation, there's information that I know and there's information that I don't know. And there's information that's available in the public and there's stuff that people don't know. And what we term this, or I didn't term it, but these two um, intelligent characters did, uh, Joe and Harry, it's called the Johari window. And what their philosophy is that information that I know and the rest of the market knows is, is known as the open window. Stuff that I don't know, but you possibly do know, is, is my blind spot. Um, stuff that I know but I haven't shared with any, anyone is my hidden information. The, the window which is the greatest concern to me is the unknown, and that's stuff that I don't know and nobody else knows. And it's in this window here that we find all the risks and all the unknown um, activities and, and threats which can destroy a very good plan. So my, is that the window where a whole bunch of people actually operate as well? Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. <laughs> and they, they go blindly where no man has gone before. Yeah, so, right. so what I encourage my clients is that we close this window, we'll get this window as small as possible so that every step is a calculated step and all the risks are known. So in order to do that, um, I advocate to every anyone who will listen is that it's important at different times to find a coach, a mentor, and or a specialist. And uh, in my journey, I've been very blessed with the people that have mentored me and, and helped me through some interesting times. And I, in fact, I found that every uh, successful person have, has gone down this pathway. So um, just out of curiosity, for you, Scotty, what's the difference between a, a coach and a mentor? Uh. I, I reckon a mentor is someone who uh, I guess you'd, you'd look up to and perhaps gone before you in certain aspects of whatever you're looking to do. Um, and a coach is someone to support you along the way and uh, instruct you in different ways of what you're doing, what you're doing, and instruct you a bit differently. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, and look, there's plenty of different versions of the answer, but the one that I like most is that a coach uh, has got a vested interest in ensuring that you take every step possible to achieve your goal and they're not necessarily connected to you on any other level than to achieve the goal mm -hmm. whereas a mentor may take a more holistic approach to what you're trying to achieve um, the relationship may be based on more mutual trust than with the coach uh, and typically a mentor is somebody who's walked the pathway before you so they know what's coming up. Whereas a coach, they just hold you completely accountable to the activity. Yep. And, of course, a specialist is someone who um, sheds some extra light or some, some um, knowledge on a particular um, trouble or a particular goal that you're trying to achieve in, a, in, in an effort to try and uh, streamline and make your journey a little bit more efficient. So different times in my life I've needed to use, uh, use the three different services. Yep, that's good. So as I mentioned before, um, the, the basis of success for myself and for a lot of my clients has all been around having a an effective plan. And what we know about effective plans is that they should be 
smart plans, specific, so an actual target that you're aiming for, measurable, so you can determine your, your degree of success, attainable, so that you don't lose your momentum or your or your faith in yourself along the journey, relevant, it, it can't be counterintuitive to the other parts of your life, and there needs to be a time frame attached to it. Mm -hmm. you, you've heard of SMART goals before, Scotty, no doubt. Uh, yeah, mate, yeah. I mean, you could call them trams goals as well if you reverse them, but I think SMART sounds better. <laughs> yes, or MARTs. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the next thing is, um, and this is coming back to what we're saying now, is the the timing to execute the plan is, in my opinion, is the single most important thing because this particular point of time now, we could see the greatest transference of wealth that we'll ever see in the, in the next couple of decades. This is when when people will be handing assets over to other people at discounted rates and opportunities to, to create large legacies are happening now. So yeah. for the people who are listening, engage with your mentor or your coach. Ensure that the timing is right, not only as far as the market is concerned, but as, as far as your own mental um, approach or your own mindset is concerned and, and start getting into it. Take the next step. And, of course, um, what we're finding more and more is that as as things change, as we we come into headwinds or as our individual circumstances change, that there is time to pause, reflect and set new uh, tactics in order to achieve your goals. So we're doing a lot of reviews of, of people's plans at the moment to make sure that um, that the information that, that we're working on at the beginning of the plan. So you've got to remember some of these plans are 20-year plans for our clients. Yeah. Yeah. And so we might be saying at this stage, um, that one tactic is to take a little bit more risk. I mean, for heaven's sakes, interest rates are in the 2%. So if you're ever going to use debt as a tool to accumulate wealth, now would be a pretty good time, providing you've got an exit strategy. Yeah. So reviewing your plan regularly is is fundamental. A lot of people put their plan in their top drawer and never look at it again. And you know what? That was what I discovered early in my career. The difference between a millionaire and a billionaire was that a millionaire reviews his or her plan once a day. A billionaire reviews their plan six times a day. Mm. So it's simply a matter of keeping these things in, in the front of your mind so that every tick of the clock, any decision that you make, whether it be to go and have a coffee with your buddy or have a beer with your friends, is that getting me closer to my goals or further away yeah and don't no, get me wrong good. i drink um plenty of beer and plenty of coffee <laughs> so, so look uh, just for the purpose of time scotty i need to wrap it up because i i've got a, a meeting i need to go to but um so what is happening there's massive upheaval happening in the world uh there's opportunities in everything but it's important to do careful due diligence and make sure that uh, that the plan and the strategy is um, coherent to your to your other goals in life, and uh, taking action at the right time could be the difference between success and failure for a lot of people. Yeah. And don't forget, you know, once again in these times of solitude, um, 
what the fishermen do when there's um, storms on the horizon is that they, they come in off the water and they take that time to repair their nets. So for a lot of people, this is a, a valuable time to repair their nets, whether that be around education, mental health, uh, health and well-being, spiritual development, which I know that you know you're very positive on, or whether it be just realigning themselves with with what the new future looks like. Yep, that's good. So that's that me, buddy. That's excellent, mate. Thank you. Thank you for telling me where that you need to to shoot off. Um, we had someone jump in saying that uh, <laughs> your mum is watching. Is that your mum or my mum, mate? I don't know. Is either of us going to claim that? Oh, mate, I'd be happy for it to be my mum. So if you're getting yeah, your over. <laughs> yeah, my mum's my watching. That's that's good. Thanks, mum. Thanks thanks for helping the viewer count. And, look, thanks, Steve, for, um, for joining us today. It was really good. Uh, it was a really great way to look at things and to put things in perspective where we are now, where we've been in the past, especially those charts. If any of you want to know more about this sort of stuff or you want to um, hit up Steve for some info, we've had our contact details rolling at the bottom of the screen for the whole presentation. So that's uh, www.zenium.property. Uh, that's our website or email hello at zenium.property. There's no .coms, no .au's because we're all about a property. All right, mate, thank you. I know you've got to go. Thank you very much for your time and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Okay, thanks, Scotty. See you, mate. No worries. See you, mate. Bye-bye.